Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically, on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy, listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio, the week before Thanksgiving. And uh, there's no shortage of news. Uh, Despite the holidays approaching, (laughs) things are blowing up everywhere. I'll tell you more about those in the rat-a-tat-tat. This is our last installment of the Obama as President Third Term series. The treasonous spider at the center of the oh radical Islamic anti-American anti-constitutional anti-freedom redistribution and globalist cabal. It'll be interesting for me to tell you that you know I've told you that this site is under attack by all sorts of nefarious black hats, particularly from Ukraine, Russia, China, and Washington D.C. Wow, this must be a coincidence. You know you're over the target when you get attacked. And I want to apologize to you podcast listeners because they actually knocked out the current show for a day and then once again for a day last week. Fortunately, we have all sorts of controls, safety devices, safeguards, and a kind of automatic reestablishment protocols in place. And it was right back up bugging them as it apparently does. If any of you listeners ever see anything weird on the website, you send us an email, you can send it to the website, or you can send it to the On the Right Side radio email. That's on the right side at reagan.com, on the right side at reagan.com, and feel free to send any comments or questions you have there also. They may not be answered the next day, but they will be answered. So in this wrap-up installment of Obama the spider at the center of the web in his third term, hiding behind the brain-dead and mostly physically dead cadaver president. We're going to cover not the last three of his cabal, but shall we say the last three of his primary cabal, which is rather extensive, which is kind of worrisome. We're going to talk about Victoria Newland. Ah, what a treat she is, warmonger queen of the universe. And we're going to talk about Mayorkas, you know, the guy who says there's no problem at the border, the DHS secretary. Unbelievable. And we're going to talk about Eric Holder, Obama's admitted and self-professed wingman. Because you think he's out of the government, do you? Oh, no, 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 no. No, wingman is busy flying just behind the radar screen. He's kind of a stealth Obama bomber, if you know what I'm saying. And there's some parts of Obama's cabal we're not going to cover in this series. Maybe we'll cover them in a future. You know, our buddy Merrick Garland, who is the attorney general, but apparently doesn't know where he put his copy of the Constitution. You know, all you parents who are domestic terrorists, all you poor guys who wandered into the rotunda, kind of foolishly, I might add, and are now uh, either awaiting trial or serving 
short to long-term jail sentences in nasty places in D.C. or elsewhere, and Trump's legal team, you know, fighting four ridiculous battles on four different fronts with DAs elected by Soros, the subject of last week's show. Gee, I wonder why they tried to knock it off the air. And supported fully in all sorts of ways by the DOJ under Garland. And Garland's uh, another person who, shall we say, plays fast with the truth fast and loose with the truth under oath in front of Congress and elsewhere. But, once again, we'll save that for another day. And in rat-a-tat-tat, oh, there's all sorts of things breaking on that COVID litigation front. I told you it was coming. Pfizer stock is way down. It's as low as it was in 2016. Poor Pfizer. And the CDC and the FDA and the NIH and the federal government is scrambling. I'll have all this whole story for you about this onslaught of lawsuits. They suddenly realized they're coming because they lied to you about COVID, about the jab, about the lockdowns, about the masks, about everything, actually. And it costs a lot of people a lot of hurt. And it costs a lot of people their lives. And if we're going to start correcting this government, folks, people have to be held accountable. I may have a little story for you in the next couple of weeks about a government thing that we are kind of pursuing to undermine the principle of accountability, because that's where stopping this, at least with other tangents, that's where stopping this begins. If you ignore it, if you think it'll go away, if you think it won't affect you, although I guarantee it'll affect you in the future, it won't unless each and every one of us stands up when it's time and says, no, I will not comply. You cannot do this. What you did is wrong, and I'm going to hold you accountable. And along those lines, we have the perfect quote today. I may even use this in the future again. This is John Adams, one of our great founders. I've kind of been leaning on him for quotes the last several weeks, but this one is one of his best. Quote, government is instituted for the common good, for the protection, safety, prosperity, and happiness of the people, and not for profit honor or private interest of any man, family, or class of men. Therefore, the people alone have an incontestable, unalienable, and indefeasible right to institute government and to reform, alter, or totally change the same when their protection, safety, prosperity, and happiness require it. John Adams, 1776. True then, folks. True today. And a little rant story for you today, which people love. So I told you a little bit last week about this solar installation. And the dumbass AC that didn't figure out the obvious until the end. If you didn't listen to it, please do. And not only that, you should listen to this entire series on Obama. Because he's your president, folks. And you need to know who this guy is and who his disciples are carrying out his bidding in the White House and the agencies. So I told you a little bit about this solar deal. So the project here over the last few days was to dig the foundation trench for the concrete that needs to be poured in which will be embedded the solar ground mounts. And they rise up and form kind of a tiltable rack that's good for different seasonal angles on which the panels will be mounted. Well, the specs from the manufacturer call for a 24-inch wide, 4-foot deep footing. And actually, the 4-foot deep is kind of this area because frost obviously extends way down to the ground in midwinter. And anything that freezes underneath concrete will heave it and crack it, and that's not good. We're kind of in a time crunch, not only because we want to get the system in, particularly before 
the real weather sets in, but also because this ground does freeze. And it's twice as much mess, twice as much work, and takes twice as long when you're trying to do something like this when the ground is wet or snow-covered. And there's weather forecasts literally starting tomorrow. So we have machines on the ranch that will dig this, but none of them is exactamente, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, they're good enough with some work where you can kind of scrape to the tenth of an inch in a ditch, which can be critical to which way the water flows, which is critical to your hay crops, etc. But in terms of digging a perfectly straight line, because we're going to pour this concrete in the dirt, right? No forms for an installation of this type. We simply didn't have the new enough equipment to be able to do it. So we rented a kind of a mini backhoe from a local outfit where we rent what we don't have but happen to need from time to time. And unfortunately, all their machines with 24-inch buckets, remember, the specs called for a 24-inch wall, were out. So we had to settle for a machine with an 18-inch bucket, given the time constraints. And off we went, and dug we did, and it came out great. I mean, you could snap a string line on one edge of that wall. Perfect. It's the right depth, despite the slope of the ground. Everything is cool, except it's 18 inches wide, not 24 inches wide. And if you think about the wind force, because sometimes, even though Wyoming never has winds, it's rumored that the winds can get up over 100 miles an hour here. And, you know, I don't want to ignore those rumors. So think about how much force that puts on collectors, a panel of collectors that's 50 feet wide and 8 feet high, right? Those panels are like a big fixed sail. And think about the pressure that that puts on the top of the panels and how they bend that support, which is sunk in the concrete, kind of toward the front, toward the wind side. Picture that whole thing. So I was concerned about that, but you know... We came up with a fix. Do you know what's more powerful than concrete? Steel. That's right. Metal is more powerful than concrete. More strong or greater strength than concrete. So we're going to strap and suspend one or two lengths of rebar down either side of this wall before we pour. And that rebar will give it the lateral rigidity that it needs given about any weather condition that can be thrown at those panels and any torque or stress that that weather condition will transmit down through that steel foundation, that steel vertical post that supports the rack on which the panels are installed. And what's the moral of this story? The moral of this story, folks, is form and function. You always choose function over form. It doesn't really matter what the rule book says, do X, Y, and Z. It only matters what the result the intended result of X, Y, and Z is. And if you can achieve it in another way, and need to because of whatever kind of constraints you have, space, time, cost, expertise, whatever it is, then feel free to do it. Because in the end, function trumps form. And why don't we start off with our three communist stooges with Mayorkas. You know, our seventh United States Secretary of Homeland Security took office February 2nd, 2021. And by the way, during the Obama administration, he also served in the Department of Homeland Security, first as the Director of United States Citizenship and Immigration Services from 2009 to 2013. You know, he and Barry were buddy-buddy. And then as Deputy Secretary of DHS from 2013 to 2016, when fortunately Trump got elected. Otherwise, we'd have 30 billion illegal aliens in the country rather than 10. Mr. Mayorkas graduated from... UC Berkeley. Oh, well, that's a right-wing school, isn't it? 
and he graduated, interestingly enough, in history with honors. So therefore, he knows the history of countries which have allowed their ideals to be watered down through mass immigration, which does not assimilate. He's fully familiar with that, wouldn't you agree? He got his JD. Oh, another attorney. God, the... That runs right through the Obama cabal, doesn't it? From Loyola Marymount University. And then he worked as an assistant United States attorney. And he was appointed the United States attorney for the Central District of California in L.A., (laughs) that bastion of red thought, during the administration of, oh, here we go again, Bill Clinton, and served there for a portion of the time of George Bush's administration. Do you see how all this stuff ties together? All these guys have the same M.O. I mean, other than change the name, they could share resumes. And Mayorkas was a member of the presidential transition team for Barack Obama before he assumed office in 2009 after the 2008 election. And Guess what one of his greatest accomplishments, in his own words, was for Barack, for our buddy Barry. It was the implementation of DACA. That's right, the Deferred Action for Child Arrivals, which Obama assured us for until after his re-election that he just didn't have the power to do it. The Constitution wouldn't allow it. And then, of course, after that, it became, well, I got my pen, I got my phone. In 2016, Mayorkas became a partner at the law firm of Wilmer Cutler Pickering Hale in Washington, D.C. Where else? He was born, by the way, in Havana, Cuba, November 24, 1959. And when he was one year old, his parents and his sister fled to the United States in 1960 as refugees following the Cuban Revolution. They lived for a while in Miami and then moved to California. As U.S. attorney, he prosecuted several big frauds against big companies, telemarketing, healthcare. He was recommended for his position as U.S. attorney there in L.A. by none other than Dianne Feinstein. And by the way, along the way, in 2008, oh, that's right, Obama's election, the National Law Journal named Mayorkas as one of the, quote, 50 most influential minority lawyers in America, unquote. And also along the way, he served as the chairman for Immigrant and Refugee Rights and as a high mucky-muck in the Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights of Los Angeles and as, like, the top cheese at the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund. Let me quote the Inspector General's concerns. Communication with external stakeholders on specific matters outside the normal procedures, coupled with favorable action that deviated from the regulatory scheme designed to ensure fairness and even-handedness in adjudicating benefits, etc., etc. I think you get the idea. Mayorkas led Obama's administration, the delegation from the administration, to Cuba. And interestingly enough, since he's been involved in, you know, putting together disinformation and misinformation campaigns, or should we say campaigns against what he terms misinformation and disinformation, and trying to establish, he's the one who was going to establish the, uh, the Truth Committee, right? I brought you that story about six, seven months ago. Well, unfortunately, it didn't get established, although... It ain't dead yet, folks. But he expanded the Cybercrime Center in Fairfax, Virginia under DHS. And now for the rest of the story on our friend, Mr. Mayorkas. It seems along the way he got interested in the Chinese, you know, kind of like his boss, so-called boss, Joe Biden, and his real boss, Barack Obama. He headed up or was involved in a number of cultural and informational exchange Dealy bobs, if you will, with the Chinese. 
And in fact, he led DHS's negotiations with Israel and China on cybersecurity. <laughs> I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall in that meeting. He wasn't confirmed by much, but the rhinos managed to put him over the top. That's right. Even though Mitch McConnell recommended the Republican caucus vote against him, and despite really strong opposition from senators such as Senator Hawley, who rocks. In the end, Shelley Moore Capito, Rob Portman, Susan Collins, Mitt Romney, of course, and Lisa Murkowski, <laughs> who was surprised, and Dan Sullivan voted with the Democrats to confirm Mayorkas. That was on February 2nd, 2021. By June of 2021, the monthly tsunami of illegal aliens was up to 188,000 a month. It's now between two and 300,000 a month. And of course, our buddy Mayorkas has told us steadfastly that the border is under control. I guess it goes down to the definition of control. If control is letting people into the country intentionally and looking the other way, it's under perfect control. And unfortunately, this has included a number of potential terrorists. I brought you those stories. I won't beat a dead horse here. But there are at least 8 million and many figure 10 million illegal aliens in the country since cadaver Obama third term and Mayorkas, the close associate of Obama for many years, took over the reins of homeland security. I mean, that's kind of an oxymoron. And now let's talk about Victoria Jane Newland. She's not mentioned much except here and there in certain seedy instances and sordid encounters on the international scene. But she was born July 1, 1961. She likes to be called Toria, T-O-R-I-A, Newland. And since 2021, Obama's third term, she served as Secretary of State for Political Affairs. She's a former member of the U.S. Foreign Service, and she served as Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs from 2013, oh, Barry's reign of terror, to 2017, and also the 18th U.S. Ambassador to NATO from 2005 to 2008. That was under, believe it or not, George Bush. Since July of 2023, just a few months ago, she's acting as Deputy Secretary of State following the retirement of her then boss, Wendy Sherman. She's also the Brady Johnson Distinguished Practitioner in Grand Strategy at Yale University. Oh, that right-leaning bastion of upper-level education. She was very close to Hillary Clinton. And in fact, there's pictures of she and Clinton and all sorts of world leaders, including the Russians, Sergei Lavrov and Sergei Kislak. Oh, and Jake Sullivan, the current NSA advisor. Oh, what a tight-knit little circle that we have. Newland is famous for meeting with the Georgian Defense Ministry leadership on December 6, 2013. As you know, there was a color revolution instigated by the CIA and shepherded by Newland in 2014, which is why we're now in the Ukraine war. And the result is Russia took Georgia and Russia took Crimea. And then, of course, in the same M.O., right, the same resume pattern from 1993 to 1996 during Bill Clinton's presidency, Newland was chief of staff to Deputy Secretary of State Strobe Talbot and then moved on to serve as, you guessed it, Deputy Director for Former Soviet Union Affairs. And she is a war hawk. She loves using the military, somebody else's blood and treasure, you know to foster her rather imperious ideas of American international exceptionalism, which, unfortunately, over the last 50 years, has done nothing but mire us in wars, result in the loss of many, many fine young men and women, and break the national till, racking up the national debt. In the summer of 2011, in fact, 
She was the special envoy for the Conventional Armed Forces in Europe organization. And then she became, for a brief period of time, the State Department's spokesman. And then, in a situation that would have long-lasting consequences, which we are paying for today, she was intimately involved with the Maidan uprising in Ukraine, 2014. I mentioned it previously. And listen to my show, The History of Ukraine, in the archives on therightsideradio.com. She admitted, by the way, in 2013 in a speech to the U.S.-Ukraine Foundation that the U.S. had spent $5 billion in trying to bring democracy to Ukraine. On February 4, 2014, of course, denying any American involvement, there was a recording of a phone call between Newland and the U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Jeffrey Pyatt. I have this in that story on the Ukraine history. Basically, the two of them were discussing which of the opposition leaders to install as the new head of Ukraine. And along the way, she made some inappropriate comments about the European Union, which royally pissed off NATO. She worked closely with, at that time, Secretary of State John Kerry Gagme and Secretary of Defense Ash Carter, and she pushed for the delivery of weaponry to Ukraine. In 2016, with the election of Trump, she left the State Department along with legions of other Obama plants. But she began to call for, quote, it's time to start locking up people who have ripped off the Ukrainian population for too long and to eradicate the cancer of corruption, unquote. I guess she forgot to send that message to Hunter and Joe and Obama and Zelensky. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a selective message, folks. And she has been responsible for pushing the European allies to take a harder line on Russian expansionism. Well, look where we are today. And then being the progressive that she is, and the hater of Republicans, conservatives, the Constitution, and Trump that she is. She did an interview on January 24, 2018 with the Washington Post. Oh, that bastion of media sensitivity. And she gave an opinion on the work of Donald Trump and Secretary of State at that time, Rex Tillerson. And she played up this exodus of Foreign Service officials and dysfunction in the State Department. And she stated that American judiciary and media were under assault. Oh, my and she also showed her true colors because she's really been behind the scenes pushing agendas all the way back to the Clinton days. And she was very close to Hillary Clinton, very close to Hillary Clinton, as we'll talk about here shortly in the rest of the story. But she hates American isolationism, any thought that America might retreat from being the world's, you know, policeman. And everywhere this woman has been and everything she has touched has turned to big dog doo-doo. On May 6, 2021, she was hobnobbing with Zelensky, along with Secretary of State of Antony Blinken. I brought you his story. And on May 25th, 2023, oh yeah, she was over there in Israel and Palestine. And then, <laughs> forgetting that the American government had denied any knowledge or involvement in the biological warfare labs in Ukraine, she kind of blew it. And in March of 2022, she expressed concern that Russia would get control of quote, Ukraine's biological research facilities during its invasion of Ukraine, unquote. Toria, come on. I mean, stick with the party line here. And she was also, shall we say, very much in favor of blowing up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which of course has proved a disaster for NATO allies <laughs> and your gas tank and your pocketbook. Here's a quote after the pipeline mysteriously, you know, we had nothing to do with it, blew up, quote, I am, and I think the administration is, very gratified to know that Nord Stream 2 is now a hunk of metal at the bottom of the sea. And now for the rest of the story on our friend Toria. 
it seems that Toria was intimately involved in the cover-up of Clinton's home server, you know, the server she had in her bathroom, against all sorts of federal statutes that our friend Comey, who I brought you his story several weeks ago, decided it wasn't really worth prosecuting. You know, Secretary of State, home server, what's the big deal? And she was also involved in wiping out the 33,000 emails that were under subpoena. And in fact, she was also involved in destroying all the devices, the cell phones and computers, so that they couldn't be read. Not that the FBI was really going to investigate, but you know, you got to be safe in these things. And from 2003 to 2005, this will make your eyes click a little bit. Newland served as the principal deputy foreign policy advisor to Vice President Dick Cheney. You know, you know, Liz Cheney's dad and the high mucky muck in Halliburton. And in that role, she played an extremely influential role in the Iraq war. You know, that war we got into because of the weapons of mass destruction. And during George Bush's second term, Newland was the U.S. ambassador to NATO. And guess what she focused on? Mobilizing European support for the NATO intervention in Afghanistan. Oh, well, that ended well, too, didn't it? So once again, we see in Toria, Newland, that same MO, that same resume, right? Formative years under Clinton, establishing relationships with Bill, but particularly Hillary for the later years, and then getting quickly indoctrinated and integrated into the Obama team. And then, mysteriously, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, immediately being nominated for similar types of powerful positions within days of Biden's so-called election. Which brings us to our last character, unless one of these days I want to explore Merrick Garland with you, who, by the way, is a rather interesting character, too. But our last person here on this series, Obama's Third Term, is Eric Hempton, that's H-I-M-P-T-O-N, Holder Jr., born in 1951. He was the 82nd United States Attorney General from 2009 to 2015. That's right, Barry's tenure. And that's when he became Barry's wingman. But the two knew each other beforehand. I'll tell you about that in the rest of the story. As I go through this litany on Holder, which is extensive, I think you'll see it ties in. I saved him for last because it ties in all the folks in Obama's third term and then the Obama (laughs) anti-constitutional, anti-America, anti-freedom cabal that we've talked about over the last three or four weeks. And it will tie in the initial show in which I drew the parallels, not the similarities, but the identical policies, except to the nth degree, that Cadaver, supposedly, is implementing right now in Obama's third term, obviously at the end of Obama and his cabals that we've been discussing for the last several weeks, at the end of those puppet strings. It would not surprise me, given the close association of Obama and Holder, going way back when to, oh yeah, Columbia University. Wow, here we go, right? It's the same three big schools. If Obama was not influenced by Holder in inserting Cadaver into the presidency so that Obama could kind of continue his fundamental transformation of America, with Holder in the background, of course. So Holder was born in the Bronx. His parents came from Barbados. Believe it or not, he was a real estate broker for a little bit before he went into law. He received his JD degree. It's all lawyers, folks, so they can work around, work over, and ignore without consequence the laws of the United States, which stem, of course, from the Constitution. He received his JD degree from Columbia Law School, which is, it looks like, where he met Obama way back when. 
He worked for the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. And also, gee, is Trump being prosecuted there? The United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York. By the way, while he was a freshman at Columbia, Holder was one of several dozen students who staged an occupation of the Reserve Officers Training Corps office and renamed it the Malcolm X Student Center. Holder is obsessed with race. He believes he is part of the victim class, that all blacks and minorities are victims, that white, Republican, conservative, Christian folks do nothing but want to subjugate the minorities, steal their voting rights, etc. You'll see this permeate through his entire career, and particularly his time as Obama's wingman, which he still is, an attorney general during Obama's first and second terms, or part of his second term. And as with all the Obama cabal, they started kind of forming their resumes under Clinton. You know, good old Hillary. Not Bill, but Hillary. Clinton nominated Holder to be the Deputy Attorney General under Janet Reno in 1997. During this time, he was a vocal proponent of the hate crimes laws. You know, wrong think and wrong talk. The First Amendment be damned. From 2001 until he became Attorney General for Obama, he worked as an attorney at Covington and Burling in Washington, D.C., representing such clients as Big Pharma, like Merck and the National Football League. In that famous gun rights case, District of Columbia versus Heller, Holder joined the amicus brief group, urging the Supreme Court to uphold the D.C. handgun ban and stating that the Second Amendment does not protect an individual right to keep and bear arms. Now, he would go on to distribute 2,000 unmarked, unregistered, unaccounted for weapons to the cartels under the Fast and Furious program as Attorney General under Obama. So, you know, another theme that runs through Holder's, I'll call it a storied career, in quotes, is hypocrisy, which always surfaces later, with no accountability. In 2007, he joined Barack's Barry Baby's presidential campaign as a senior legal advisor. He also served on Obama's vice presidential selection committee. Oh, this is where we found cadaver. Terrific. And I lend support to my supposition, and I have nothing to back this. It's just a gut-level feeling looking at all the dots, that Holder is the one who convinced Obama to install cadaver so that Obama could have an unfettered and completely shielded third term. That's Holder's M.O. Holder did prosecute a number of terrorism cases during Obama's reign and obtained some convictions. But on the other hand, he was a staunch opponent and ally of Obama's in wanting to close Guantanamo. And he's the one who moved all these trials of terrorists from military tribunals to civil court. While he was attorney general, he's obsessed with the Voting Rights Act of 1965, by the way, and was reauthorized that act in 2006. But Holder has been adamantly opposed to new voter ID laws, and he has gone to court against them as attorney general and in his current capacity, which will be the rest of the story, in Texas, Florida, and other states. And he believes them to be, or he says he believes them to be, politically motivated. Quote, the reality is, is that in jurisdictions across the country, both overt and subtle forms of discrimination remain all too common. And while he was attorney general, he sued Shelby County, Alabama, for a violation of Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. And that has to do with redrawing boundaries for apportionment of districts, both at the federal, the state, and the local level. And he took the position that the 
1965 Voting Rights Act made it mandatory that any jurisdiction, state, local, whatever, get permission from the DOJ to redistrict. That was struck down by the Supreme Court. In 2022, Holder brought out a book, Our Unfinished March, and he talks extensively about how unhappy he was with the Shelby decision. In May of 2012, with a dozen states pushing new voter identification laws, remember this is before Obama's re-election campaign, Holder said he believed the new laws would hamper the ability of the elderly, students, and minorities to vote. Quote, for the first time in our lifetimes, we are failing to live up to one of our most noble ideals. And he called Texas voter ID laws, this was in a speech to the NAACP in July of 2012, quote, a political pretext to disenfranchise American citizens of their most precious right. And he compared voter ID to Jim Crow laws and the $22 that folks had to pay to get a state ID, a valid state ID in Texas, to the old poll taxes in the Confederacy. In 2010, in fact, he had filed suit against Arizona, and this happens to be on immigration. Once again, another tie-in to the current policies of Obama third-term cadaver out front. And this had to do with an Arizona immigration law, which he said led to racial profiling. In February of 2011, he announced that the DOJ would no longer defend cases involving the Defense of Marriage Act. In 2010, he stated that the DOJ would continue to prosecute individuals on the federal level for possession of marijuana, even if voters approved a ballot measure in various states. But, remember, Obama was hell-bent on turning Colorado, that had been consistently red up to that time, nine electoral votes, blue. And suddenly, with the advent of the marijuana referendums in Colorado, which began its very steep and accelerating downhill descent into state hell that you folks down there are now experiencing, Holder just turned the other way. That didn't have anything to say as Attorney General on the referendums in the Colorado Amendment 64 and the Washington Initiative 502 in 2012. And after that was passed in Colorado and Obama was reelected and Colorado was on its downhill sled ride into blue hell, he approved, in fact helped author, a memo that was released by one of his deputy attorney generals, James M. Cole, August 29, 2013, which instructed U.S. attorneys to not focus prosecutorial resources on state-authorized marijuana-related activities. Oh, you mean the exact opposite now that the political ends were achieved. And it was under his Justice Department, if you remember back there, that all sorts of folks in the press were harassed, surveilled, wiretapped, and interfered with. In fact, his Justice Department argued that, quote, journalists had no legal protection to maintain the confidentiality of their sources. And he actually used the FISA courts, gee, does this sound familiar, you know, think back to Trump and the Russian collusion, to spy on journalists. This included 20 reporters from the Associated Press and the famous James Rosen case from Fox News. Holder later testified falsely under oath in Congress that he had recused himself from these leak investigations, these media-related investigations, to avoid any appearance of a conflict of interest. We certainly wouldn't want that. But I don't remember him saying a word when all the nonsense about the Russia-Trump collusion came up. Not a peep. He also told Congress that he had nothing to do with these investigations, and, you know, he was somewhat horrified. But later, NBC News, of all places, 
confirmed that Holder had personally signed off on the subpoenas for James Rosen. And then in 2013, Holder announced the, quote, Smart on Crime program. Quote, a sweeping initiative by the Justice Department that in effect renounces several decades of tough-on-crime and anti-drug legislation and policies, unquote. In other words, folks, you know the defund the police movement? The Soros-funded attorneys? And by the way, Holder also has links to Soros and knows him rather well. Do you see how all this kind of culminates? Soros the money, Holder the legal wingman, Obama the brainiac with his cabal. And it was under Holder, also in 2009, that the suit that was brought by the Bush Justice Department against the new Black Panther Party for voter intimidation, you know, where they were standing outside a polling station during the election in paramilitary uniforms carrying nightsticks. And he said there just wasn't enough evidence, you know. And he told attorneys in September of 2009 that the Obama administration was interested in filing cases under a key voting rights section only on behalf of minorities, unquote. He testified in Congress that the behavior of the new Black Panther Party wasn't comparable to historical voter intimidation against minorities. Quote, when you compare what people endured in the South in the 60s to try and get the right to vote for African Americans, to compare what people subjected to that with what happened in Philadelphia, I think it does a great disservice to people who put their lives on the line for my people, unquote. In other words, the double standard of the law, that's not how the law is administered, folks. And because he refused to release documents, because he lied under oath and was caught, California Representative Darrell Issa and Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley sent him a letter. And when he didn't respond, he has become, during that process, the only attorney general in the history of the United States to be held in both criminal and civil contempt. In fact, he was held in contempt by a vote of the House of Representatives 255 to 67. That included 17 Democrats voting to hold him in civil and criminal contempt. If you're wondering why the vote wasn't 435, that's because Nancy Pelosi took a large delegation and walked out in protest. Obviously, nothing ever happened to Mr. Holder, despite being held in civil and criminal contempt. And then his buddy, you know, the lead pilot in the formation... Barry tried to say that he was exercising executive privilege over the remaining Fast and Furious documents. That was later overturned by a court. In the whole Fast and Furious matter, Rick Perry, who was then the governor of Texas, summed it up, I think, the best. Quote, America simply cannot tolerate an attorney general who arms the very criminals he is supposed to protect us from. Unquote. And then it was under Eric Holder again, our Barack Obama, Operation Choke Point. Do you remember this? This was an ongoing initiative of the DOJ to investigate banks and payment processors and payday lenders and other similar companies that they said were at risk for fraud, money laundering, and terrorist financing. But actually, it was directed at Obama's political enemies. And it was directed at things that Obama and Holder and the rest of the Obama cabal bent on the transformational fundamental transformation of the United States, deemed, you know, anti their ideology, like coin dealers and gun dealers and gun manufacturers and conservative groups. And it was under Holder's DOJ, remember Lois Lerner, that the IRS targeted with absolutely no accountability ever whatsoever. Lois Lerner enjoys a fat pension that we're paying for, and Eric Holder will enjoy a fat pension that we'll be paying for. The persecution 
of Tea Party groups, conservative groups trying to get tax-exempt status. Do you remember that whole scandal? Yep, that was on Holder's Watch. And then you might remember that upheaval with all the big banks, right? Money laundering and fraudulent activities and ripping off customers and creating fake accounts and, you know, the CFI banks, the too-big-to-fail banks. Well, Holder came up with a new term. They were too big to jail. He said that he couldn't prosecute those banks and that he was going to move away from the previous policy of at least prosecuting the high mucky mucks in those banks for these incredibly expensive criminal activities. Because, you know, if there was a problem with these banks, it could be a systemic problem in the financial industry. It just so happens, of course, that virtually all of the high mucky mucks in these various banks, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Trust, I can go down the list, are huge Democratic donors. Ha! Must be a coincidence. Which brings us to the rest of the Eric Holder wigman story. It is ironic that in his early tenure, before he became Attorney General, he was deeply involved in prosecuting cases for government corruption. But I haven't heard a peep from Eric Holder or Barack Obama over Joe Biden's getting caught with his hand in the American till and selling America down the road for millions of dollars from China, Romania, Ukraine, Russia, you name it. And he's married to a gal by the name of Sharon Malone, who's in the medical profession. Her sister, Vivian Malone Jones, happens to be the famous gal who played a major role in the stand in the schoolhouse door, which led to the integration at the University of Alabama. And then in July 2015, when he resigned from the attorney general position under Obama, he rejoined his old law firm of Covington and Burlington. And guess who the clients of Covington and Burlington are? Oh, a huge proportion of those really large CFE banks and head honchos at the CFE banks that Holder had declined to prosecute for their alleged role in the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009, amongst other things that we've just discussed. Matt Tybee, who is that terrific reporter who did the Twitter files. You know, the government, we're not doing that. Oh, yes, you are doing that. He opined about Holder's move back to this law firm. Quote, I think this is probably the single biggest example of the revolving door that we've ever had. Unquote. But now we come to the final part of the rest of the story. In October of 2016, obviously knowing Trump was going to win or thinking that he might, Holder announced that he would be the chairman of the newly incorporated National Democratic Redistricting Committee, which is a group that supports Democratic candidates in state races ahead of the redistricting that will follow the 2020 census. And this is key, folks. This goes right to the heart of who is counted for the census. It is Holder's group that argued that illegal immigrants should be counted for the census in terms of creating new congressional seats, even though they're not American citizens. It is Holder's group that has fought the battles in North Carolina and Texas and Florida and elsewhere against redistricting, going against basically the Constitution, which says that the state legislatures, legislatures have really the absolute authority to do it. Article 3.2.2, we've discussed this on the show in the past. And he's had some success, because he is a clever attorney. By the way, in the five qualities that he believes a presidential, he's on record, candidates should have, one of them is mental acuity, and another one is the physical stamina to perform the job. Yet, Holder has been absolutely silent on Cadaver's inability to form a sentence, and apparent inability to walk up a flight of stairs, which is because it's not Cadaver that's president. It's 
Holder's wingman, Barack Obama. And we're out of time, so no rat-a-tat-tat, but I will make it up to you next week, and my apologies for this week. We will have a big rat-a-tat-tat next week, because next week's show is going to be like a rerun replay of our historical story on the Declaration of Independence. I think a particularly apropos at this point in time and at Thanksgiving. And also starting next week, each week I'm going to have a little piece on financial security. I've brought you shows from But one of the things we haven't touched on is what you might think about doing with, oh, certain tricks of the trade, certain alternative assets that might help you weather what looks to be a coming financial storm, and some recommendations on who you might trust to get that done for you here and there. Totally up to you. We're out of time. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Remember, look in the mirror, repeat after me, and repeat it with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. Oh, yes, we will. Keep the wind at your back. I'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the right side.